Is the Lord's Supper just a formality of the church, or is it more than that? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hear of the Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Brian DeBozik, and with me, as usual, is Aaron Armstrong. Aaron, today we are talking about the doctrine of the Lord's Supper, um, and it's a pretty straightforward uh, doctrine that we're going to see. Uh, we're going to see a couple of clear passages in Scripture from this, but I think this is one that has quite a few uh Areas where we have to have cautions or concerns or some some areas that we need to kind of explore a little bit more as we as we deal with it. So, as usual, go ahead and, and start us off by leading, reading this. I mean, a, a pretty brief doctrine this time. Yeah, it is pretty brief, um, and of course, we have a slightly longer explanation in a video <laughs> form um, that accompanies this. Again, this is the extended commentary. So some of it will feel familiar if you've already watched that, but um, but this will be good. So when we're talking about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the fruit of the vine, memorialize the death of the Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So... Typically, what we do in after I read it after I read a definition like this is we try to summarize it as simply as possible. But the truth is, is aside from like some forty dollars words that are in this, um, this is a pretty simple definition. Yeah, God's people, believers, take bread, the fruit of the vine, as often as they as they meet together to remember the death of Jesus and anticipate his second coming. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think, I think it's, it's pretty sure I was looking at that definition, trying to simplify it some, and I kept, you know, locking in and saying, no, this is an important kind of phrase. This is an important idea. I don't know if we can jettison really anything from it. And it's pretty straightforward, but again, we're going to come back to talk about some aspects of it that, that do have some room for discussion that we have to think about more deeply. But before we get to that, let's talk about where we see this in Scripture. Um, I'll start. We see this in all four Gospels, of course, when it comes to the initial, the Last Supper, the initiation of the Lord's Supper, if you will. Mm -hmm. And just for quick summary, we can read about that in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22, and John 13. Once again, we've mentioned this in other contexts, but whenever we see something that appears in all four Gospels, that clues us in to be a little bit more careful to pay attention. Just if something only occurs in one gospel, it's important. It's it's inspired by God, of course. I do not diminish that at all. But when it occurs in all four, that's where you know we pay extra attention. And not surprisingly, the Lord's Supper, the initiation of the Lord's Supper, occurs in all four gospels. Yes, it does. It does. And and it does but it doesn't just show up there either. We we see it in 1 Corinthians 11 and specifically as we get into 11 uh verses 17 through 34 which uh which says this. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you since some since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church there are div- divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Indeed, it's necessary that there 
uh, that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you meet together, then it is not to eat the Lord's supper for at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? What should I praise you? I don't praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. By the way, in these two passages, in these two, this verse and in another one that's just coming up right after, these are, if I remember correctly, the only times we see Jesus quoted in the epistles directly. And it's about this. So to your point of this is really, really, really important for the fact for for the only time one of the apostles in their writings to directly quote Jesus to be on this, that says something. So it continues. In the same way, also he took the, the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy matter, manner uh, will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Eat, uh, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should, he should eat at home, and so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. That's a big passage, and, but notice everything that's going on here. Um, the Corinthians were a really messed up church. That's, that's <laughs> yes, the were. clearest thing that we get from, from those, two, those two epistles to them that we have in scripture. We know historically there are at least a couple of, couple more. So 1 Corinthians that we have is probably actually more like 2 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians may be something like 3rd or 4th as well because there's a harsh letter that's in there. There was a first letter as well. Um, there's a lot of things that were going on in this church, but they were a mess. And in many ways, they're probably the perfect illustration of the North American church. Um, with how much of a mess we can be at times um, with divisions and fighting and, and doing things in an unworthy manner to the Lord, um, which is probably why we don't like that, like these two epistles all that much. <laughs> but but look at how look at this, the seriousness with yeah. and the reverence that Paul puts on the Lord's Supper. He's like he's saying, be careful here. 
about how you do this. The manner that you do this is really, really important. Are you taking this because it is because you're hungry or you just want to drink? It's like, that's not why you do this. You do this to remember the Lord. And just to be clear here, there's something that many of us in, especially in, in the Western church, I would imagine, miss um, because we think of the Lord's Supper as, you know, in, in our context, a, a tray is passed around and you take a little piece of bread and you take a little cup of, of some kind of, of drink um, and, and that's the Lord's yes. Supper. But in this day, it was a full meal as well. Think of the original Passover that Jesus was celebrating where he initiated Lord's Supper. It was one part of a full meal. And so the early church would gather together. They would have a full meal, and the Lord's Supper was part of that. And so that's why Paul is, is calling this out. He's not. It's not like people were hoarding a bunch of bread from the tray being passed down the, down the row. Yeah. It was they were getting to the, the supper, the meal, the fellowship meal early, pigging out and those coming in late had nothing to eat and he's saying wait a minute, look at your heart your heart's not right it's selfish it's uncaring and then you're going to celebrate this really uh, really important act of the lord's supper which is all about selflessness it's about christ's selflessness to us and you're coming with a selfish posture to start with don't you see how that's broken so that that's kind of what's going on underneath the surface here yeah yeah all right so Brian, what are some so thinking about that? We've already kind of gotten into some of the cautions that are that that come with this. Um, certainly, just from Paul's explanation. But but what are what are some things that that should guide our understanding of this doctrine? Yeah, I think first of all, we um, have to be careful that the Lord's Supper is both a look backward and a look forward, uh, a look ahead. I, I think looking back is is the normal. I don't think many of us have a problem when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Our attention is often drawn there, rightly so. We, we turn our attention toward what Christ has done in the past, his suffering, which has brought about our salvation. And again, we need to do that. But don't miss it. Both in the Lord's Supper itself, when you read in the Gospels, Jesus says each time, hey, we're going to celebrate this again in the kingdom. And Paul's writing here both point us looking forward as well. And so we should have both perspectives. We, As we celebrate, it's a reminder that Christ has conquered sin and death on the cross, but he's returning as conquering king as well. And we are going to celebrate this meal with him in person one day. So I, I think we that's where I don't think we spend enough time as we celebrate the Lord's Supper looking in that direction. Usually when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's ultra somber. And again, there's a place for reflection. I don't, we should not be flippant point blank, but I would say that maybe we should weave in some joy and celebration. We, we can be reflective and joyful at the same time. You know, I, I, this is my own opinion, but sometimes I wonder as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, if an unbeliever walked in and said, what are you guys celebrating? Why are you so somber? Yeah, he died, but didn't he raise again? Isn't this, aren't you celebrating how you were forgiven of sin? And nobody's smiling? Nobody's joyful? Um, it's like a funeral in here. And so I, I my, again, my own two cents, wherever it's worth, is that I wonder if we remembered to look ahead as well, if that would help us infuse more joy in what we're remembering both directions, looking forward, remembering, looking back, looking forward to, looking ahead. 
um, joy of what Christ has accomplished and joy of what is in store for us in our future that we can hope on with confidence. So looking back and looking ahead is one of the cautions I would I would throw out there. Yeah. The next caution um, or the next the next big question that comes from from this doctrine really is maybe a better way to think about it again. Um, everything kind of has cautions, everything and everything is questions. <laughs> but um, but this is this is one of the one of the two big questions that are general consensus ones. Um, there is another one, which is, you know, what is the fruit of the vine, um, fermented or unfermented? And that's a personal conviction issue yes. um, and a church conviction issue. So don't make a thing about it is all we're going to say there. More important, though, is this question of should the Lord's Supper be open or closed? So open and closed can mean a couple of different things. Some people take it to the most extreme and say, is it for everyone who is there, everyone who's present, meaning also the non-believers in the, in, who are there amongst us, um, or is it only for believers? Well, the general consensus among Christians is that this is something for only believers. Non-Christians should not participate and should not be invited to participate. Um, the, the So in a narrower context, when we think about this question of open or closed, it becomes a diff- a slightly different issue, which is, which believers should be participating in in the Lord's Supper in a local church context at a certain time? So should it be open to all believers as long as they genuinely profess faith in Christ? Um, you know, in many Baptist churches, that caveat, the, the caveat is added and have been baptized. Um, and in yeah. many churches, period, it, it's like that as well, because... That is that is the other ordinance of the church um, that we see in Scripture: baptism and the Lord's Supper. One happens once, and the other happens as often as we meet, which we'll, which we'll get talk to about in a minute. <laughs> yep. So, what the question here is, you know, if you're visiting, a, if you're visiting a different local church, can you take can you take communion while you're there? That depends on that church's convictions. Um, you know, at my church. If you are a believer and you've been baptized, you can you can take communion at our if you're there. Yeah, that's that's how it is in our church as well. But we also don't put the caveat on are you of the same stri- like theological stream. So are you you know Presbyterian versus Baptist versus versus yeah. whatever? That's that's what where our church doesn't go. Other churches do, and and I respect that, but. That's 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 one of those ways that differs from from local church to local church and tradition to tradition. The point of it, though, is is that there should be some kind of appropriate fencing of the table, if you will. So remembering again, the Lord's Supper is important, but it's not for everybody. That front term fencing the table is a common one to describe how you how a pastor usually prefacing the Lord's Supper will make clear who is welcome to participate. You fence the table, who can approach the table, and you fence it who may not approach right. it. And you'll notice, too, in fencing it, even Paul did a great job of this when he said, come in a worthy manner. And so yeah. 
one of those things that uh, that should be should be recognized is that if we are um, professing believers in Christ who are um, engaged in unrepentant sin, um, or we are in or we are under church discipline in some capacity, um, the the Lord's Supper is not for us. And I just want to say here, in case anybody's curious, because I think most, in my experience, so anecdotally, I think many churches, at least here in the United States, would have an open um, Lord's Supper, meaning all believers can participate, and maybe with a couple caveats. But so some people may be listening saying, well, why would a church choose to close it only to its members? And I just want to speak on their behalf for a moment, even though I have not personally served, nor do I attend one that has had that position. But lest somebody attend a church in the future that has that as a guest and they feel uh, disrespected, let me, let me just kind of speak on that for a second. Mm-hmm. The heart behind that is this, that they take the Lord's Supper seriously and they want to protect the best they can, the sanctity of the Lord's Supper and ensure, again, the best they can that it's only genuine believers who are celebrating. And so they would say, I can't judge. If if Brian Dembozik rolls into town as a guest, he's he's passing through, and he stops here on a Sunday, and I, I don't know him. I, I have not seen fruit in his life. Um, we don't have a relationship. I, he is not under our authority as an eldership, leadership of this church. I, it's not comfortable for us. We don't believe it's right for us to grant him access to such a serious thing as the Lord's Supper, where we are basically affirming his salvation by participating when we don't know him. So the heart there is not exclusionary to be ugly or better than you. It's to protect this really important aspect of worship that that church holds. So again, I just want to say that in case anybody ever comes across a church so they can understand and hopefully appreciate where that church is is coming from, um, lest there be any hurt feelings or anything. Yeah. Yeah. The, let's do the, let's do this next, this next question right with this one, because it, because the two go together in many ways. So um, it's that next biggest question of how often should we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And yeah, and this and is, this is where one. yeah, and and Jesus only says as often as you celebrate, as often as you do this in remembrance of me. So what can we learn about that? Well, one, it implies repeating. It's not just a one-time thing, as you said. Baptism is one time for a person. Lord's Supper, the the connotation there is you're going to do this more than once. But Jesus does not identify how often that is. What does he mean? It's common, at least in Baptist churches, it's common for the Lord's Supper to be quarterly. Um, One of the thoughts behind that is if it's done too frequently, it might lose its meaning. But I'm seeing in recent years a growing trend to celebrate the Lord's Supper more frequently, even weekly. And the Lord's Supper, I think, and I'm grateful for this, it's being viewed more as a critical aspect of worship. It's a reminder of the gospel. And a lot of people would say, no, worship is incomplete. We are to gather. Every time we gather, it's to remember the gospel. It's to proclaim the gospel. Jesus said, when you do this, you're proclaiming the gospel. It's a beautiful picture. Why not celebrate it? every week. And how can we tire of the gospel? We can't get bored of the gospel. 
So, you know, and, and it's not just a, a tack on at the end. It's a vital part of, of worship. So we're seeing, I'm seeing, sensing more mm-hmm. a move toward an increased frequency of the Lord's Supper. Most definitely. I mean, you know, when we moved here to the States, it was the first time in our entire time as believers that we had celebrated communion weekly. It wasn't a thing. Like that's it's typically not a thing in I mean it's not really a big thing. It's not typically weekly in most churches um but or at least certainly not the ones that I've ever been to. Um it's been more like quarterly or seasonally or um, you know, or monthly and, and largely it hasn't been out of any desire to devalue or, or depreciate communion or any, or the Lord's supper or anything like that. It's really just been about time and logistics. And for, for a lot, it's really difficult, especially if you're a, a mobile church, um, you know, a church meeting in a school or anything like that, but it can be done. And that's been actually a theme that I've seen. You know, we're we're recording this while w- churches are still figuring out things with uh, COVID nineteen and and all that fun stuff. Um, and by fun, I mean not fun at all. Um, <laughs> with how it has how it has disrupted um, rhythms of worship and life and and everything else. So don't hear me diminishing anything um, yeah. or saying things that I'm not saying. Please, people. So uh, there's one more caveat for for us, <laughs> but um, you know, for most churches, um, I, and I'm gonna say most churches because I think this is a fairly accurate assessment based on what I've seen online and in one-on-one discussions with others. One of the things that people miss the most right now is actually being able to take the Lord's Supper together. Yeah. So many of us haven't been able to take it in six or seven months because yeah. of this, because we're well, trying to figure out how to do it well. And, and it gets to kind of the second part of that discussion. You know, when can we celebrate the Lord's Supper? And and what I mean, it's not the frequency, but is it permissible? If it's a church ordinance, we know that you mentioned before it and baptism are two church ordinances. So it must be done within the realm of the church. So I think it's easy to say, I should not have, I should not celebrate the Lord's Supper in my home with my family, with just my family, because it's not part of the gathered church. It, we're a family. Um, but what does that mean? So does the entire congregation have to be gathered to celebrate the Lord's Supper? If so, how often does that happen? Okay. It, right now where the church can't gather, would it be permissible for your church leaders to drop off individual Lord's Supper elements and celebrate it virtually online, for example? Th- there's been discussion about this. Is that permissible or not? Can a portion of the church celebrate the Lord's Supper? For example, students go away to camp. They're at camp, just students. Can they celebrate the Lord's Supper? So there's a lot of questions here and disagreements. I remember in a group discussing this, I was a little bit more isolated. Everybody else was a little bit more flexible than I was. I was a little bit more rigid thinking, no, I want to fight for this to be a gathered church um, element of worship. Yeah. I personally, if I'm pastoring a church, I don't know if I'd be comfortable with my students celebrating Lord's Supper on their own because it's not only celebrating our joining with Christ, it's, it's 
our joining together as the body of Christ. And so I would personally want it to be celebrated only when all the church is invited, at least, when there is a worship experience designed for everybody. It doesn't mean everybody will be there necessarily, mm-hmm. but when all are welcome, to me, that seems like it fits best with what the Lord's Supper is about. But with that said, I really respect those who would push back on me right now and say, no, Brian, you're being too, uh, you're, you're being too strict. Uh, the students would be, that is the church, just part of it, they should be allowed to celebrate. So there's difference of opinions here that we have to, I think, respect. Yeah. And I mean, I've gone back and forth on, on this and, um, and I mean, you know, because I've been in, I've been in churches where they've had, where they've had no rules on it or no guidelines or anything like that. And I've been in some where it's very, where it's very specific. Yeah. Um, you know, so, I mean, I've been part of small groups that have, that have taken communion together. Um, but I mean, that was like in my first church, <laughs> um, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to my current one. Um, you know, we haven't even, we haven't even tried to, haven't even broached the subject yet on, okay, how do we do this? Like, should we, should we explore it in small groups or not? Um, and I don't bring it up cause I'm not one of our elders. Exactly. So, <laughs> so instead I trust them to, uh, to make wise choices for us. Yeah. And we've seen, <laughs> we've seen it, it's been even more difficult in COVID, as you mentioned, when a lot of churches can't meet and we, we want to celebrate. And so it has forced us into discussion more understandably. So, but even like me, I, I, I kind of said, Hey, here's kind of where I stand. But even that there's, there's exceptions. For example, mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do with shut-ins? I, I'm fine with some leaders, deacons, elders, or whatever, taking, you know, maybe Sunday afternoon after the church gathers and celebrates the Lord's Supper, and they take those elements to shut-ins individually so that they can... I'm okay with that. I would not say yeah. that's wrong, even though that goes against what I just said. Hey, the church gathered should be what it is. So there, there are exceptions that we have to run through. We're not violating Scripture. Let's run it through what's reasonable, uh, and, and what is right. But again, somebody could then turn and say, but Brian, you're starting to hedge. Then why can't you let a small mm. group? Why, why couldn't the students? And, and that's why I have to say, I lean against it, but I appreciate where you're coming from. I would never say you're wrong. Yeah. I just don't know if I'm there myself. Yeah. And that's the thing. It's pers- for you. That's a personal conviction. If you're in leader, if you are one of the, the, if you're the pastor or the elder of the church or one of the elders of the church, you would probably be advocating that it not be part of policy. Um, and that's okay. Yep. I mean, this is the thing that we have to recognize is there, there has to be flexibility. There has to be a degree yes. of fluidity with those kinds of things. And that's, and, and I think that's why scriptures just says as often as exactly. I, 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 sometimes that frustrates us when scripture is not clear like this, but sometimes it's a, you know, a comfort. It it's challenging, but then it gives us the position of saying, "Okay, your context, you're pursuing what you believe God wants you to do. So be it, because you're not violating Scripture. If my church is doing something different because we're pursuing what we believe, mm-hmm. that's we're not violating Scripture. It's okay if we're not doing the same thing." Yeah. So yeah. that kind of takes us to the the final discussion here. What difference should this doctrine make? And and I I'll start with the first couple. Uh, because they're they're fused together. I just mentioned them. That when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's a reminder of our joining with Christ 
And it's also a reminder of our joining with the church. So we remember what Christ has done to provide forgiveness in life, to restore us into fellowship with God. But we remember also we're not saved into isolation, but into community, that we do this together. We're part of a body of Christ. We're a family of God. And therefore, the Lord's Supper is this great opportunity every week to remember those two truths. Yeah. And I think the second thing is that it reminds us of our hope and it causes us to long for the day when Christ is returned. Because remember, as has been said a couple of times now, it was said in the text. I'm just going to say it one more time. The Lord's Supper does two things. It reminds us of what Christ has done to save us from sin and it anticipates his, his return. Because there's an end time to when we won't be doing this. And it's the day we look forward to. So every time we take communion or the Lord's Supper, whatever language you want to use, um, we're looking forward to the day when we when we are not going to take it anymore. The day that we're saved in full. We remember we have to we this is the pattern of the Christian life. In the gospel, we have been saved. Past tense in full. Present day. Right now, as we live, we are saved and are being saved <laughs> um, because we are growing in Christ. We are positionally in him. And finally, through the gospel, when all things are made new, we will be saved. So all of these things are true all at the same time. And this is what the Lord's Supper reminds us of. Yeah, that's a good word to end on right there, Eric. Thanks. I do want to thank you for listening to today's episode of this podcast. If you have enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 